Welcome to The Logbook. I'm your host, Lucas Weekly. This episode's supported by you, the listeners, through Patreon. Head over to thelogbookpodcast.com for more information. Pilots are always told to trust their instruments when a situation goes bad. Well, today, Dr. Cass Howell will read us a story that he wrote about when trusting them might have become dangerous. So there I was, looking at a setting sun, gas gauges winding down, and I was just totally confused as to where on earth, or above it in this case, I happened to be. Nothing looked familiar, and that old advice of trusting your instruments was producing a bewildering array of contradictory information. So now what? Like most pilots, I didn't set out to get lost. It just happened. It began with the fulfillment of a long-held dream to have my very own Beach Bonanza. In this case, a 1968 E-33. Acquiring the aircraft was the result of a lot of research and a long search. When I finally found the airplane, I was one happy camper. I discovered one minor fly in the ointment, however, which was the insurance company requirement that I receive five hours of dual instruction before any solo activity. Well, this, of course, was reasonable and part of the insurance company, but after spending the kind of money it takes to join the Bonanza Club, I just wasn't flush with cash. This led me to look to some of my CFI friends to see if I could cut a deal. Fortunately, one of them was looking to get to Champaign-Urbana up in Illinois. And from our hometown of Daytona Beach, Florida, the flight would satisfy the five hours of dual instruction required by the insurance company very nicely. With the bill of sale ink barely dry, we launched out for Illinois. Our reward was an uneventful flight and balmy spring weather. So mission number one got accomplished. Mission number two, of course, was to get back to Daytona Beach. And after an evening stay in Champaign, I awoke to a misty rain and thin, widespread, kind of yucky clouds. This necessitated a lot of sitting around the FBO for quite a while, since I wasn't instrument current at the time. So finally, in the early afternoon, the weather cleared enough for takeoff, and I said goodbye to Champaign and headed southeast. I should mention that the weather, the aircraft was equipped with, shall we say, vintage instrumentation most modern of which was a Loran. And if you don't know what a Loran is, talk to your granddad. Well, I guess I'm your granddad today. Loran, or long-range navigation, is a form of radio positioning that receives low-frequency radio wave pulses emitted from master stations and then compares the differences between the frequencies and the time that they took to be heard to triangulate the receiver's location. It's actually pretty similar to GPS, but instead of bouncing signals off of satellites in orbit, transmitting stations on the ground emit the long-range location pulses, which in some cases makes Loran systems more reliable than GPS, and can still be used as a backup if GPS satellite signal is lost. The plane Dr. Howell is flying is also equipped with a VOR, or Very High Frequency Omnidirectional Range Navigation System. This is another form of radio navigation that displays the airplane's orientation from and direction relative to a transmitting station. If you know where the transmitting station is, then you can interpolate your heading from it or to it relative to the magnetic compass and get a general sense of where you are and where you're going. VOR navigation is more complicated than Loran, and you'll hear about this later on. Okay, now back to the story. In a burst of mindless generosity, I had loaned my handheld GPS to a fellow pilot less equipped than I 
a decision that I would soon regret. The first leg was pretty uneventful. Stopped in Bowling Green, Kentucky to refuel, updated the weather. My route would take me across southern Georgia and into north central Florida, where it turned out lay an area of heavy rain. How heavy, I didn't realize. Unfortunately, there was no getting around it since the showers went from the Atlantic coast all the way to the Gulf Coast in northern Florida. The good news was that it did not contain any convective activity, which is pretty rare for that time of year. Armed with this bit of false hope, I launched. After all, airplanes can fly in the rain, right? So all went well until I neared the Florida state line, about 50 miles west of Jacksonville. As predicted, ahead lay the rainstorms ominous in size. My strike finder, however, remained quiet, allaying some of my concern. Selecting an altitude to stay out of the clouds, I plowed into the rain. Not so bad at first. Not very turbulent, but it did get quite a bit darker when the sun, already low in the afternoon, was immediately hidden by clouds. So the rain came in waves. It went from light to moderate to heavy, sometimes very rapidly. Then it went from heavy to unbelievable. I've never been exposed to rain like that in an aircraft. I dodged the heaviest precip, but still ran into a considerable rain. Have you ever been driving and encountered a rain column so intense you had to pull over because the windshield wipers couldn't keep up? Well, that's the way it was, except uh, I didn't have any windshield wipers, and I couldn't pull over. So I changed course 90 degrees and came out of the rain into a clear area, kind of like a donut hole in the clouds. And inexplicably, co-altitude with me off my left wing was a skydiver under canopy, headed downward. You know, what, what was he thinking? Anyway, while I was trying to sort out why the skydiver was there and looking for others, I flew into another rain column, this one even more intense than the last. The rain was so heavy, I began to seriously worry about water ingestion through the air breather. I mean, everything has its limits, and I knew it must have been pushing them by now. I'd already slowed to minimize the water beating up on my paint and aluminum, and I should say the noise was deafening, even with the headphones on. So I didn't have any options there. I turned about another 90 degrees and then back 140 degrees the other way as I dodged yet another wall of water leaming ahead. So it went, and it was kind of one radical course change every couple of minutes from all points of the compass as I tried to fight my way through the eastward escape point towards the coast. So needless to say, after the first couple of turns, my geographic situational awareness went out the window and into the slipstream. This is the first time I wished I hadn't loaned my portable GPS unit. Little did I know I would soon really miss it. Okay, after battling the rain for most part of about 40 minutes, I finally broke through and got the last of the precip and my reward was a view of the coast about 30 miles to the east. I tried updating my location with the VOR, but apparently I was out of range from many of the VOR stations I thought I should be near my position. So the, the radio had nothing but static and all frequencies. So I'm thinking, well, it's clear VMC and I'm on a VFR flight plan, so I'll just fly over the coast and head south to Daytona Beach. I'm certain to figure out where I am soon enough. Pretty foolproof plan, right? Anyhow, I reached the coast to turn south and begin trying to update my position electronically. This is where things started to get really weird, downright spooky, in fact. First, I tuned the Loran to Daytona. Loran didn't have a moving map display like GPS does now. 
So it was pretty simple. Just dial in the three-letter identifier for the waypoint, in this case, DAB for Daytona, and it produces a readout of direction and distance along with a ground speed and a couple of other associated data points. Pretty crude, but it works. Anytime you do this, you normally have in mind approximately what the readout will be. In my case, I expected to see something like 180 degrees for azimuth and about 100 miles or so for distance. So you can imagine my surprise when I dialed in DAB and I got an azimuth of 280 degrees for 240 miles. So immediately I'm stricken with, what's this all about? It made no sense at all. I double-checked it. I triple-checked it to see if somehow it made an error. It's pretty hard since it's just dialing in a three-letter identifier. I changed the identifier and then went back and jiggled the knobs and otherwise tried to persuade it to do what I thought it should be doing, but it stubbornly refused to cooperate, hovering about 280 for 240 miles. No other stations would come up. So now I decide to better visually assess where I am. I'm still south along the coast. I don't see anything I recognize. I don't see any airfields. I don't see any major development, no rivers to help me. Consequently, I go back to the electronics, this time with the VORDME. Okay, so I'm carefully setting the frequency for the Daytona area, and I'm relieved to see a centered needle with a 2 indication whenever I dial in 180 degrees on the bezel. But wait a minute, not so fast, because the DME, which first of all read 86 miles, is now counting up. I watch it register 87, then 88, and 89. This can't be. How can I be getting farther away from the destination when it's right on the nose? Had I become so disoriented in the rain that I'd flown south all the way past Daytona? Again, I checked and rechecked it, and I triple-checked it. All looked good, but the DME continues to climb. So I'm beginning to doubt everything. The only thing I know for sure is... The afternoon sun is off my right wing, confirming my direction is south. I have no confidence in anything else. In all my years of training, trust your instruments has been, it's been the mantra. But how do you trust your instruments when they don't even agree with themselves? So after fruitlessly spending some time calling on the static field radios, I go back to what I know is important. That is, the sun is setting. I got an hour of fuel left, and I don't know where I am. So when the airfield shows up in my path, an airfield, the decision is easy for me. I'm going to land. The airport seems to be uncontrolled, which is good because I don't have any frequencies since I don't know where I am. I visually clear the pattern, land, and taxi over to the FBO. No one's outside, so I take a deep breath. I walk in, and I ask the man behind the counter the most embarrassing question a pilot can ask. Excuse me, sir, can uh, you tell me where I am? The answer is Fernandino Beach, north of Jacksonville, and the FBO guy is very much amused. Actually, I'm pretty close to where I should have been, lying instruments notwithstanding. So after refueling, I check the instruments and radio, and everything's working perfectly. So what, what was wrong? I don't, although I don't have any proof, evidently I had picked up a terrific load of precipitation static while fighting my way through all the rainstorms. This caused the radios to become useless and all the nav instruments to provide extremely disorienting information. Although I had heard of precip static, 
I'd never seen anything remotely as dramatic as my experiences that day. But I was lucky. It was clear VMC. I was over an unmistakable landmark, which is the Florida East Coast. So at least I knew where I was east and west, if maybe not north and south. So consequently, I resisted the trust your instruments gouge. And I took the prudent measure of stopping at the first available field. Well, what if I'd have been over a less identifiable terrain? Or worse, over the ocean with no landmarks for orientation. The conclusion of the flight probably would have been different, maybe even disastrous. I finished the rest of the trip very happy not to have joined the Bermuda Triangle Flying Club, but I sure gained a lot of insight about those who have. But, you know, the learning point there is sometimes when, you know, we were trying to figure out why these aviators that never come home do seemingly stupid things, you know, maybe there's some rational reason for it, I guess. Because that would, you know, if I'd have been over the water, if I'd been out of sight of land where I didn't have the Florida coast to tell me for sure where I was, I would have probably run it out of gas, you know, trying to figure out which way, because you couldn't trust anything. It was just like, this is impossible. <laughs> can't be going that way. That's 240 degrees. I can't be that way whenever I know that over here's the ocean, over here's the sun. It makes no sense. Dr. Cass Howell is the Associate Dean of the College of Aviation at Embry-Riddle Daytona Beach, and part of his job is working with students administratively based on their academic performance. He's also a certified flight instructor and has a commercial pilot's license. Dr. Howell read from a book he contributed towards entitled Eagle Tales, accounts of Embry-Riddle professors before they were faculty. The book features a lot of stories from many professors on campus and was put together by Joe Clark, who we'll hear from next time. You can check out pictures of Dr. Howell and the plane that he flew, along with more information about these stories and Eagle Tales by going to the article at thelogbookpodcast.com. This episode was supported directly by your donations. If you enjoy the show, you can support its production by becoming a patron. Through Patreon, you set a donation level that is given every time a new episode is released, and you can always set a monthly limit so you don't go over your budget. Depending on the amount donated, you are granted access to different rewards that are as simple as hearing a sneak preview to the next episode, all the way up to exclusive content that didn't make it into the show. Any amount is helpful, and the more that's donated, the more the show can improve. Head over to our website, thelogbookpodcast.com, and click on the Patreon banner at the side of the page to start supporting. Also, don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps bring awareness to the logbook. If you have a story about anything in aviation, we would love to hear it, and it may even become an episode of the logbook. You can send us an email by using the contact page on our website. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you come back for the next entry in the logbook.